I grew that company into about a $5 million company, sold it, and I was 32 years old. And within five years, I had burned through all of that money through some poor investments, through not paying attention to it. And I got into a position where I was convinced that I was a horrible business person and that I didn't know how to make money. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Hey, well, welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. You got with you today, the knucklehead, Stephen, and I've got a special guest with me here. And I say that every time and I always call it out. It's 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 special to me for a couple of reasons. One in particular is we've had the honor and the privilege of working with some some really talented, incredible folks. And I don't consider like I'll just be like a lot of the, the behind the scenes production meetings that I do with our team. It's funny. I, I always end up making fun of myself because I'm like, guys, hey, what do you think we should do, guys or gals? What, what do you think we should do here? Best idea wins. It's not Steven's idea wins. So I'm always the knuckle dragger, kind of slowest, uh, you know, the slowest wheel moving out of the, all the wheels moving at the same time. So I feel very excited and honored and privileged to have folks who kick ass and take names the way that our, our guests do. And today is no exception to that rule. So uh, we've got Jonah Larkin with us today. Jonah Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. And I, I just love your preamble there of uh, best ideas win because that's what team play is about, right? Well, at least what I've heard before really experiencing some of the, the setbacks and screw ups, it, it seems cliche, but the reality is, is if you're not willing to admit what you've screwed up or what you don't know, it's difficult for people to trust you. And it's difficult for people to to really, quite frankly, accomplish things that are significant. I'm not saying that people can't. Right. I mean, there's an example going around right now of who was it? There was a there was a company that sold and their entire employees were expecting the equity that they were going to get in that acquisition to, to go really well. I think it was mm-hmm. MailChimp. I think, I think it was a product, okay. it was a product based business that got sold. And the entire time that the employees made it what it was, the founders didn't give any of that windfall of cash to the employees. I could be screwing up the story. So if you're listening to this saying, yeah. hey, Stephen, oh, you're, you're screwing up. MailChimp, we forgive yeah. you. Or yeah, forgive exactly. Us. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. I'm not sure I'm going to get some hate mail after this. But the reality is, is that's not necessarily what we call rank war servant leadership or what I've heard referred to as, you know, leaders eat last. So you, you kind of subscribe to that philosophy in some of the leadership circles that I run in. So anyway, I digress. Jonah, I appreciate you taking some time today. And one of the things that stood out to me as we were talking just a few minutes here before we started recording was the, I guess, the, the your willingness to put yourself out there. I, I've got to ask, being a, so a surfer, I don't want to mischaracterize your background and I'd love for you to correct what I just said, but how have you learned to develop the trust that you have in yourself to go out and, you know, how are you going to get back on a board? You, we were just talking about an injury that you just had. How are you going to get back out there and be on the board? I'd, I'd love to hear kind of what your process is to trust yourself to take some of these risks. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Steve. And, and, uh, you know, just to catch up all the listeners about it, almost just a little over a month ago, I was in Hawaii surfing 20 foot waves uh, at an outer reef. We were a mile offshore and um, 
I, I got caught by a wave that was even bigger, probably about 30 feet. And I ended up separating my pubis symphysis, which is the joint in your pelvis, which is super painful. I was lucky to get, to get rescued by um, a, uh, a jet ski that happened to be out there. And the reason why your question resonates is because that's what I'm thinking about right now. And that's what I'm dealing with right now is how do I go back out and paddle out into big waves when right now I'm feeling pretty scared about having a leash attached to my leg because that's how the injury occurred. The board pulled my leash so hard against my leg. That's what created the injury. And so you know, the honest answer is I don't know how I'm going to do it. But what I do know is that faith that I will be able to do it is what's going to show me how to do it. So I don't necessarily need to know how it's going to happen. I just have to believe that it's possible and that I have the resources and the skills and the mindset to figure that out. Yeah, I can appreciate. I appreciate your candor and honesty there. You're you're talking about a a huge physical uh, risk that you know you you just quite frankly overcame. You know anybody who's listening to this show who's going on a run and twisted their ankle knows how difficult it is to to take that first step or go through that recovery process. Yes. Let alone be in a less stable and more dynamic environment like the ocean to go out and trust yourself. Uh, again, to go out and do that. It, uh, kudos to you for the courage that it takes to go out and do that. And we know that you're going to. We'd love to uh, to follow your progress. I'm so I'm sure folks can go out and and take a look. Yeah, I'm assuming you have some social channels that folks can, that you can plug now to, to for folks to go be able to check those out. Yeah, I keep my Instagram generally updated, not all the time, but generally. Understood. Generally, all right. Well, there we go. So let's back up just a little bit. So give some folks a taste, a, a little bit about about. But not necessarily what it is that you're doing now, but kind of what's led you to what you're doing now. And, you know, when it comes to surfing and some of the adventure things that you do at an extreme standpoint, what is it that, that drew you to that, those challenges that you, you know, that you go out there and voluntarily face? Yeah. So two things. One is I've been an entrepreneur since I was very, very young. I used to have my mom drive me up to Payless and I'd buy a 24 pack of NFL football pencils and I'd go back to school and I'd sell those things for a quarter. But, uh, I remember the Cowboys, the Niners, and it was like the Steelers. I'd sell those for like 50 cents, double those. Oh yeah. Premium, <laughs> premium, yes. premium on the exactly. Cowboys. Exactly. So I had an interest in entrepreneurship from an early age. And the other thing that I just feel super blessed about was that I grew up in a very rural community. And the thing about growing up in a rural place is that I was surrounded by nature. And as a result, like I would go out and just adventure. I'd climb trees, I'd build forts, I would get lost in the forest. And um, that was a key part of me, like really getting this taste for trying to understand what was around the next corner. And that helped me with my entrepreneurship and was also to help entrepreneurship to push me into different types of adventures. So when I was 16, I was an exchange student in the Netherlands and had to learn a new language. Uh, I was super into soccer at the time. I thought I was a pretty badass soccer player. I showed up over there and they laughed at me. They were like, yeah, go play with the young kids. 
And of course, my ego was bruised. And I had to realize that there were a bunch of skills that I didn't know. And so how old were you when that happened? I was 16. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was 16. And uh, right, you know, right at that prime age of, of just when you need a blow to your ego, too. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It was brutal. 16 years old, uh, being asked to go play with the young kids. I would say to to a certain extent, that's like being asked, all right, I know you're in high school, but you're going to need to go actually brush up your, brush up your, your playing yeah. skills with the middle school kids. That's, that's a little bit of a challenge, not just to your ego, but to your perception. I think that happens quite a bit. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but we tend to conflate what our abilities are. Reality has a tendency to kind of smack us upside the head to say, hey, listen, no, it's, there's probably a little bit more to this than what you thought there was. Yeah. I mean, I wish at that time I would have been able to internalize that lesson. You know, it took me years to really internalize that lesson. And because I think what you're talking about is identity. You know, it's like if I have this identity that I'm a badass soccer player and I go to the Netherlands and they're like, sorry, bud, you're 16, go play with 14 year olds. That's like a huge blow to my identity. A bigger identity is like the identity of being a learner, being identi the identity of no matter what happens, I'm going to learn from this. But unfortunately, at 16, I wasn't mature enough to do that. Now, I definitely have that. Um, now, I'm, I'm definitely able to step in and be like, man, I don't know, diddly squat about podcasting or, you know, <laughs> your experiences in the military. I know that you've got leadership lessons to tell me because these are leadership lessons, not that you read in a book, but that you learned on the ground. And that counts more than anything. Well, you, I love what you're touching on there because it, it brings up the point of what uh, inadvertently kind of what connected us. The, the fact that you took a risk or when you took a risk to start your own business, even whenever it was growing up to learn the skills of finding out what folks wanted. You understand some of the best teams to play in the NFL or at least most popular teams anyway. Of course, there's going to be a higher price point associated with that because folks are willing to pay that price, it probably wasn't a lesson that, that, that you, that you learned until maybe after that first or second time of selling to your friends. But when you, when you characterize that small lesson, I mean, obviously it's important to go look at where folks are now, because it's not always going to be a sales or a service oriented business that you're going to get into as you get older and kind of develop your kind of investor chops. And I'm assuming you've probably gone through some of those lessons yourself. Can you think of one that maybe that screwed up or didn't go the way that you wanted to? Oh, 100%. So in 1997, I started a website and I, I started one of the first websites to sell skateboards and skateboard shoes online and grew that company into about a $5 million company, sold it. I had my, my net worth at that point was just under about a million dollars. And I was 32 years old. And so I was feeling pretty good about myself. And within five years, I had burned through all of that money through some poor investments, through not paying attention to it, through just kind of having a, kind of almost having a magical thinking kind of a mindset. And I got into a position where I was convinced that I was a horrible business person and that I didn't know how to make money. Yeah. I can understand. I can understand that. It's interesting that you're sharing it the way that you're sharing it, though. So was it the experience that was the complete contrast of the accumulation of that, you know, of that income or of that of that revenue subsequently that, that fueled your 
you know, your lifestyle. So the choices that you made, uh, maybe, maybe not necessarily attention to the details is what led to that slow decaying of that, uh, of that dollar amount. What, what was it that kind of smacked you upside the head to say, all right, I know that I can do this. Or was it just simply just over time, you you made small choices, what we call kind of call get some wins. You, you kind of st- started setting some smaller goals and getting to that point where you, you reverse that trend. I guess walk me through some of that. That'd be great. Yeah. So, so two things. The first moment was I remember I was sitting on the toilet <laughs> in the morning <laughs> thinking to myself, I don't know how to make money. How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to pay my rent? I did not know how I was going to pay my rent. And then I thought to myself, I had this one of those lucky, insightful moments. And I was like, is that actually true that I don't know how to make money? Or is it true that I'm just broke right now? What's actually true? And I realized that this narrative, I don't know how to make money, was not true. I thought to myself, I was selling football pencils when I was in fourth grade. I made a million, I made close to a million dollars. No, I know how to make money. And so I changed that thought in my head. Every time that thought came up that said, I don't know how to make money. I said, I know how to make money. And I started writing down every business idea I had. And I've got a million business ideas. I'm like a shiny object person. Show me something. I'm like, oh, cool, let's do it. Right. But we know it's all about execution. So that was the first thing. Number two was I really started to try to understand what my relationship was with money. And what I realized was that the imprinting that I got from my dad, who's very, very suspicious of people with money, very suspicious and would always talk down to me about people with money. I realized that I had this internal program that I thought that if I had money, my father wouldn't love me. And so I had to act that out until I had no more. Wow. And so I had to do work to change that internal dialogue around, you know, saying, hey, dad, my business is going really well. And then when he would say something to me like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. Wow, you're just getting lucky, you know, or what other kind of, you know, putting me off. And and look, I have a great relationship with my father. Love him dearly. He loves me. Nonetheless, this is something I've dealt with. I had to actually like decide, you know, and set boundaries around what I was going to tell him what I, and what I wasn't because I realized I had to protect my own mindset. Well, it's, it, so I appreciate you sharing that. That's a difficult lesson uh, to learn, not generally. It's a difficult lesson to learn to be able to uncover that, that lesson. First of all, I love how you isolated that experience as a program, right? It was a, a program that you kept on telling yourself. It was almost like it was on repeat. And a program essentially is designed to have this outcome. You know, it's coded in a certain way to to, to produce this outcome. And if the outcome is not what you want, obviously you go back and you change the code, right? I mean, it just, that kind of just makes sense. But the way that you described it, it was, you had to discover, first of all, you had to go through the pain, the, the, the actual outcome of it not being what it is that you want. And you were disciplined enough to go back uh, to the root cause, what we call kind of root cause analysis, or again, going back and getting some wins. That process is uncovering what led to the outcome that you don't like anyway. And I mean, kudos to you for going out and repairing or at least addressing it with your dad to have a relationship that you have and discovering that it couldn't be the same. You had to actually put some parameters or some safeguards or we call kind of the left and right lateral limits, you know, in that relationship to guide you back to where it is that you wanted to go. 
obviously it's not an overnight thing. So walk us through a little bit of maybe some of that after you change your programming, what, what was your experience getting back to where you were at? Maybe the first business yeah. lesson that you learned post discovery of that, you know, of that program. Honestly, it didn't take long after that. Um, I thought it was going to be, you know, I was kind of going through this uh, period of, of struggling in my business and, you know, thinking, you know, one day I want to, I want to have a really big business and then I'll, I'll do this little thing and then I'll do that little thing. And then it's not what happened. As soon as I changed that mindset and started shifting the programming, I was in uh, health and nutrition at the time. And I threw some uh, supplements I had up on eBay and turned out they sold and I started selling more. And then I created my own online shop and it just kind of like it grew very quickly and I realized, wow, that was the only thing that was like keeping me from doing that was like some tiny little action. That's crazy. And so it was literally just like as soon as that door opened a crack, it opened up all the way. And um, that led me to just this a real change in the way I analyzed and was mindful of my own process. And the funny thing was, is that you know, I've been meditating very seriously since I've been 20 years old. I mean, the first meditation retreat I did was I went to Thailand again on another adventure. I, I went to a temple, signed up 30 days, 12 hours a day of meditation for 30 oh days. Oh my goodness gracious. And the last, the last 72 hours, no sleep, just meditating 24 seven. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, we we could talk about that uh, as a you know almost as a separate follow up uh, show because that topic in itself thinking seventy two hours of no sleep and only meditating, uh, yeah, that's yeah, that, that's, that's pretty extreme. It, yeah, it's pretty extreme. Yeah, super. I'm an I'm an extremist, man. I'm totally an extremist, and so even after all, and and I've done several of those retreats, even after that. I still had these like programs going on in my in my brain that I wasn't aware of. But after that happened, after that moment on the toilet, I realized, oh, my God, the thoughts that I have are really, really important. And that led me. And I can tell you're a fan of frameworks because of the way you talk about, you know, left lateral and right lateral. So I can tell that you like approach things through frameworks. And I myself am a huge fan of frameworks. And so I developed uh, a framework called the habit quadrant, which is simply oh, cool. an, X, an X, Y axis. And on one, it's like mind are thoughts, heart is emotions, uh, spirit is beliefs and body is action. So it's like, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you believing? And what are you doing? And you can literally take this for anything you want to accomplish, whether you want to run a marathon or make a million dollars or have a great relationship with your partner. You just do that habit quadrant. You know, what would I be thinking? What would I be feeling? What would I be believing? And what would I be doing? It's a super simple framework that you can use for anything. And I could come and ask you, Stephen, hey, man, if I was going to start a successful podcast or a successful agency, how would you fill this out? And then I can just copy Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. And every marketer that's out there understands that. And first of all, that, that framework is fantastic for uh, for those of you who are listening. So what Jonah just described is is just how to take, you know, probably what's rattling around between your brain or rattling around, you know, between the ears of somebody who's on your team and just giving some parameters 
to help you orient what's happening and, and how to, how to make sense of, of the discombobulation sometimes that comes with thought, you know, not necessarily strategic thinking. And that's what I like about creativity and having, and having those models to help you actually have some tangible outcomes based off of a creative exercise. It helps you actually make sense of, of something creative. That's what, that's what I love about, you know, podcasting or, uh, or the agency question that you had. I can imagine, even though you like frameworks and, uh, you know, you're being an extremist, are there simple things that you can do to be good at surfing or, or like, a, you know, applying that framework to a, a 20 foot wave that also applies to like a one foot wave? You know, I've seen dogs and kids <laughs> surfing, so obviously it, it, it works. But yeah. in my mind, that seems like it, it would be completely dynamic. You could apply whatever framework you want and it just you have to go out the window sometimes. The question, the question was, is what, what attracted you to something like surfing that yeah. seems like on the, from, from the outside looking in, not process oriented, not framework whatsoever. You'd have to just go out and, and, uh, yeah. kind of live and let live in a way. Yeah. To, yeah. I did it because it was, it was, it was a wild thing to do. Um, when I, when I started surfing again, I grew up in a little town called Mendocino on the coast of Northern California. There was, water was really cold, you know, sharky, just kind of, the ocean was scary and there was something wild about it. There weren't a lot of surfers at the time, but a couple of the guys who I looked up to who were older guys, I remember, uh, Stuart Beck and, and, uh, Hank McCusker were two, two, two great surfers. And I just saw them and, and was just kind of in awe of what they were able to do. And so that got me out there. And the interesting thing, at least for me, is that intuitively and right off the bat, it was more difficult and painful than it was fun. And that was because I had a crappy old wetsuit. The water was super cold. It was just like kind of hellish. And there was something about that, about kind of struggling that I liked. And, and I didn't consciously know that at the time, but that's kind of what happened. And I think it's the same with big wave surfing. I mean, even this last adventure that I was on in Hawaii, paddling out a mile out to sea, out to this outer reef, was I scared? You betcha. Absolutely, I was scared. And you know what? I should have been scared because it's dangerous out there. But there's something about coming up rubbing up against those areas of, of fear that I just find so life affirming yeah. that I can't stop doing it. It's because, you know, they say, if you're too afraid of death, you're never going to live. It's kind of like that. You have to understand that, like, there's only one way out of this place. And so you might as well live as best you can. And that's, I can say that to anybody, but it's up to each of us to learn that for ourselves. And, you know, I am, I feel so fortunate that I know that about myself. So right now I'm, you know, I can't really do much. I'm injured, but doing breathing exercises is a wonderful way for me to like kind of get that high and, and get in contact with like pushing myself physically. Cause I can't, athletically do that right now. Yeah, I can understand that. You got to channel the, that, that energy somehow. And, and I can appreciate the, uh, uh, you know, this is a season of recovery. I started talking about that whenever we first, uh, whenever we first came online here. So 
Uh, I know for the sake of time, let's, uh, so for, for those of you who are listening, we're kind of right up against it in terms of time where well, you're used to listening to 28 to 35 minutes or so of these episodes. And a couple of the things that I've heard Jonah, Jonah talk about here are, are applicable, not just for folks who are extreme athletes, not, not, not just for folks who are willing to, to put themselves out there. Maybe they're at a point where, you know, they've got folks on their team who they can, they see have this budding potential and some of the exercises that he's talking about, you can work, you know, right alongside somebody to go and explore some of these things. So Jonah, let's, let's kind of put a bow on this. Tell people a little bit about either how to get in touch with you or what's the best way for folks to, you know, if they want to find out a little bit more about, you know, what it is that you're up to, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, I'm I'm on social, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Jonah Larkin, J-O-N-A-H-L-A-R-K-I-N. Uh, my website is a great place, and uh, I'll I'll put up a uh, a page, uh, JonahLarkin.com/slash/knucklehead, and um, that will have a link to this Habit Quadrant framework and a couple of other frameworks that uh, I find super useful and uh, and super easy. And so, yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of me. People can uh, send me an email through my website or DM me, whatever. I love talking to people. And, um, you know, if you if you have some interest in reaching out, feel free. Very cool. Very cool. I, I, I appreciate that. I think anybody who even just the way that you describe swimming out a mile away from the safe haven of the shore into the ocean, you know, I, I can, I can appreciate that. It's terrifying to me to think about what my wife and I, you know, we, we took a vacation to Mexico. This is going back a few years now. And I remember waking up in the morning and uh, it was black, pitch black outside. It was probably pretty stupid of me, but I did it. I went out into the ocean and I swam and I swam in a pitch, you know, because it was, because it was such a comfortable, you know, it was vacation. So everything's kind of comfort oriented in terms of whatever your decisions are. And I realized, no, nope, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do something that I feel is risky. It challenges my mentality. And I remember like feeling something in the water and then freaking out and then, you know, continuing to, uh, to serve. It was probably just a, a fish or just something that was going through the water. At least that's what I tell myself. And so I can appreciate you swimming a mile away from the shore when you're doing that. And obviously you're, you're just coming back from an injury. So it's probably pretty fresh, but when you're doing that, what are you thinking are, are like, can you walk me through kind of how you physically kind of push yourself to do that when you, when there is so much anxiety and or fear potentially associated with that activity? Yeah, I just, I, I mean, I stay in the moment, man. Literally, I just stay right in the present moment. I focus on my breath. You know, when, when you're doing something highly aerobic like that, equal breath in with breath out, I focus on my breath and I just focus on the next thing that I need to do. So whether it's to, you know, get 20 feet out to where the waves are breaking a little more, I focus on that. I break everything down into really small chunks. Um, when I'm out there and there's, you know, 25, 20, 25 foot waves coming out and I'm going, do I have what it takes to drop into one of those? I don't just like, I'm going to go for it. No, I like sit there. I observe the wave. I say to myself, if I need to sit here all day and never catch a wave, no problem. And then I slowly inch myself over, inch myself over, and then the choice point comes. And when that choice point comes and I see that wave with my name on it, that's when it's no hesitation. And I don't know what that mindset shift is, but um, I'd be curious you know, to hear your thoughts on it. But there's this mindset shift that says, 
doesn't matter what the consequences are at this point, I'm doing it. And, yeah. and that is an interesting switch that I, I'm curious about because I don't know what it is. I just know I can do it. Well, there's a lot of software. So I appreciate you walking us through that. That's so I hear a lot of software engineers or folks who are developers, folks who, who have these sophisticated and very tight processes to achieve these really, really cool outcomes. Talk about how done is better than perfect. And, you know, done being 60% of the way is better than, you know, a hundred percent perfection. And I think that there's that decision-making gap between, you know, just halfway beyond. So if a hundred percent of, of something needs to get done and you get 50% of the way there, that balance of 50% is, it's not like it's uninformed. You, you have a lot of the information in the context to develop some com- comfortability, so to speak, with whatever the outcome is. And so I think that it's, it's not uninformed. I think that it's a, it's a very calculated risk. And I just, I use that based off of the decision-making framework that I've seen a lot of people who are software engineers and developers, you know, talk about that. And they've kind of distilled it down to that phrase of done is better than perfect and just being willing to sit with the consequences, whatever those consequences happen to be. And that takes courage, in my opinion. It kind of goes back to, Jonah, the the framework that we call don't be beta. You know, it's kind of tongue in cheek a little bit to kind of poke fun at folks who don't maybe agree politically all the time. And that's fine. But the whole point of us saying that is, you know, we're saying it's going to be scary, right? It's, it, it's, you're going to screw up. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. So why use the threat of the potential terrible outcome stop you from doing it? Don't be a beta about the process. Just go out and, and take that risk. It's not going to be a relatively new experience each time you do it. You're going to have the collection of everybody else's failures and screw-ups in conjunction with yours to make those better educated decisions as you go along. Probably why you're able to do better with 20, 25 foot waves now than what you did when you first started. It's because you were iteratively got to where you're at now. So that's my knuckle dragging analysis based off of the scenario that you just described. So I appreciate that opportunity. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Likewise, man. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, man. So, uh, all right. So we let's, let's wrap it with this. I, I know I've kind of rambled on here just a little bit at the tail end. So we've talked about the best way to get in touch with, with you. We've talked about some of the uh, the thoughts whenever you're doing something extreme, uh, anything else that you want to leave these folks with, or you feel like, uh, you feel like we're good, right? Where we're at. Yeah. I mean, the last thing that, that I'll, I'll say, which I think is just so important, you know, you talked about not agreeing with other people politically and whatever. And I, I think this is super important, not just for that, but just business in general and life in general is learning how to listen to other people and when we are listening to not be preparing what I'm going to say while I'm listening to you, that if we can all just get to that point where I can listen to you and I can repeat back what I heard to you so that you can verify what that is. And if you can do the same with me, I'm telling you, we can solve all our problems. And that's a fundamental belief that I have. It doesn't matter where I am politically or you are politically. I guarantee you, if we're very different, there's a huge part of those Venn diagrams where you and I agree. And so it's an understanding of being able to meet each other as human beings. And um, that's one of the biggest things that I see right now. One of the biggest problems, not just in business, but just interpersonally. And so I just kind of want to leave people with my own opinionated opinion about that. I I appreciate that. 
Absolutely. And that you're absolutely right. The, the, the way that we hear somebody framing uh, their, their perspective is their perspective, you know, and you want to be able to be heard as much as that person who's, who's speaking to you. So I couldn't agree more, Jonah, that there's, there are specific things. When I say things, there's specific ways to communicate that, you know, my generation and folks that are coming, actually even folks that came before me that, you know, when it comes to communicating, just how important listening is. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily seem like the the respect associated with listening is is applied in every single conversation. So it is certainly a, a practice that we can certainly learn to do better. And I know I strive to try to get my kiddos to, to do it half the time. I'm not listening to what they have to say anyway. I'm like, no, I'm in charge. You listen to me. That's how this works. No, I'm just kidding. Kind of. Kids, kids are organized chaos, man. That's why. That is the truth. Well, Jonah, I appreciate you taking some time. Thank you for, for sitting still and not uh, swimming off here in the middle of this recording session. I've thoroughly enjoyed this time. Folks know how to get in touch with you. And uh, with that, essentially, we're a wrap. So remember, don't be a bait about the process. Go ahead and get you some wins and make today a great day. So I appreciate you, Jonah. Have a good rest of the day. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Thanks, Yeah, it was awesome being here. See ya.